Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you have chosen to click play on this podcast. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope today's talk encourages you. place this letter in that spot, I can go for a triple word score, shield counter and go for the double letter score. But if I can just get this in place, she won't even notice the 10 point letter that I've got up my sleeve. Wait, but is this even a real word? What if she asks me to use it in a sentence? It doesn't matter if I've made up a word, it's, it's just a word, right? But words are the foundation of all communication. Words are the backbone of our very nation. Words have defined entire generations. Words have started wars and sealed everlasting peace. It is our words on which kingdoms rise and fall. Words hold authority, each letter a powerful role. Every word crucial, every word influential, every word significant. Every word counts. Good morning, church. Are you pleased to be here? You'd have thought on a day where we're talking about rest, the church would be half empty and we'd all be at home having a lay in. You could have done that. Um, so uh, thank you, Helen, for your introduction. So my name is Matt and um, I used to be part of this church until kind of stuff happened about a year ago and life came along and redundancies happened. But I stayed in Suffolk, living in Suffolk, and I work for the Anglican Church now, which is this beautiful glorious and slightly strange animal. Uh, But I love working there, I really do. I love the different kinds of people and the different kinds of Christians that actually I get to work with. But one thing that the Anglican Church does really well is it's very good on its stats and its growth figures. And it's very scary, you know, (laughs) living in Suffolk. About 2% of the population of Suffolk go to Anglican churches and about another 3% attend all the other types of churches in Suffolk. Now, I failed my GCSE maths, but I do know that makes about 5%, and about 95% of Suffolk just have no real interaction with churches at all. And so my job really is to go around and challenge some of the churches, challenge and encourage and inspire that if we want to grow, we're going to have to grow by growing younger and to grow in a different way. So I love doing that. Um, For those of you that know me, you'll be pleased to know I still love God, which is good, because I'm up here speaking. I still love God, I still love life, and I still love Wonder Woman, just so you know. Um, (laughs) And I've just spent a week on holiday, which is great, just as we come to speak on rest. I spent a week on holiday down in Cornwall, which I love. Just being really relaxed and chilled, spending time with my brother and my sister, Um, I spend time surfing. I'm not very good at surfing, but I just love getting in the sea. My twin brother, he metal detects on the beach. Um, My sister, she loves walking and she tries to con me into walking. You know those people who go, oh, it's just around the corner. Or, oh, if we park there, then it's just a little walk and it's a bit... You know, you know they're lying and you know it's about five miles to wherever you've got to get to. My sister does all of that. My mum herds imaginary sheep. That's another story, I'll tell you one day. 
But it's just movies and it's curries and it's drinking wine and it's talking and lots and lots of sleeping, which I love doing on my holidays. And on that note on sleeping, I was remembering about 12 years ago now, I, um, I did some medical research not because of any great altruistic values in me. They just paid really well. So I thought, I'll do that. And uh, basically, what I had to do was go to this MRI scanner and they, um, they scanned our brains whilst we were doing some very simple tasks, like matching shapes to names or colours, numbers, these sort of things. And then, three weeks later, they invited us back to do the same test, but kept us awake for 24 hours. So there was no sleep. You could do lots of things, play games, talk, but they were on you, so you couldn't sleep at any. And then they did the scan again to see what would happen, which is quite intriguing, what would happen. What's really interesting is that your reaction time doesn't really change at all, which is quite surprising. You know, minuscule differences. You know, the reaction time didn't change. The problem was your body was actually going faster than your brain could. So I was pushing buttons for the right pictures, but kind of three pictures behind. So all the answers were wrong, but kind of right, but three questions behind. It was very strange, very strange. Because you see, and we've all felt that, haven't we? Maybe jet lag, maybe just having children and not getting enough sleep. And you feel like you're kind of in this zombie phase, just going through. A lack of sleep can be changed by just having enough sleep. But sleep and rest are not the same sort of thing. You see, rest involves our emotions. Rest involves our relationships. Rest involves our performance. Rest involves our soul. And we're in this second week of this series, small words with really big implications. And last week, Steve spoke about love, and I'm speaking about rest. I don't know if that means I'm better at resting than loving. I don't know. Uh, But, you know, there are some of you here I know that would just kill for a good night's rest. Maybe your parents with young kids. Maybe you're you're an old man and you have to get up four times in the middle of the night to go to the toilet. I'm heading that way. Not quite there yet, but heading that way. Um, And, of course, you know, sleep is really important in the world of rest. But don't just think that it's about having eight hours good sleep at night. Rest is way more important than that. It affects our spirits and our relationships as well. And I don't know how you feel about this idea of rules and laws. You know, a lot of people will go, you must get eight hours sleep a night, or you must do this, or you must do that. I don't get on very well with rules and laws. I'm a bit of a rebel at heart. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I tend to go along with most of them just because I don't like the consequences of breaking them. But as I was thinking about this idea of rules and laws and the commandment to have a rest, I was looking at some of the rules that there are still in force, apparently, in the UK. No cows can be driven down the roadway between 10am and 7pm unless you have prior permission of the Commissioner of Police. Did you know that? Um, All land must be left to the eldest son. Yeah, some quiet here, isn't there? (laughs) I ain't leaving. Um, uh, Since 1313, MPs are not allowed to don armour in Parliament. 
Maybe they should at the moment right now. I don't know. All English males over the age of 14 are to carry out two hours of longbow practice a week, supervised by the local clergy. I could do that job. I reckon I could do that one. Um, uh, a bed cannot be hung out of a window, Helen. Okay, <laughs> no beds hanging out of a window. Um, uh, it's illegal for ladies to eat chocolates on a public conveyance. So ladies, no eating chocolate on a bus. Um, any boy under the age of 10 may not see a naked mannequin. These are still rules, apparently, laws in our country. It's illegal to drive to church on Christmas Day. Did you know that? It's also illegal to eat a mince pie on Christmas Day, which kind of defeats the object of mince pies, I think. And, and uh, in line with our talk today, with the exception of carrots, there are still restrictions on sale of goods on a Sunday. But carrots apparently don't count. You can eat buy carrots whenever you like. Um, now, now I, the reason I talk about those rules is they're crazy now. We look at them and think, why? I mean, they're just, they don't fit our life right now. It's like we've gone beyond that. But at a time in our history, they were important. I can't think why, but they were important. At a time in our life, they, they, they meant something to us. And in fact, our laws and our rules help glue society together and help keep society cohesive and working. At a time, they were important, and now they're not. And when we look back at the history of the Bible, when we look back the history of God's people, when you go back to the beginning part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament, you can see that God gave some rules to his people. Way back in, in, in the history of the God's people, God led his people out of captivity by, by a guy called Moses. And they were led out. And it wasn't just a small family group. It wasn't 10 people or 20 people. Probably 600,000 men or so left Egypt, left captivity, went out into the wilderness to kind of carve a path of their own. And of course, the numbers grew quickly because you needed something to keep you warm on a cold winter's night. So 600,000 grew quite quickly to maybe two and a half, three million people. And three million people need rules by which to live by. Not to be restrictive, but to keep the society working. And so God actually gave what we know as the famous Ten Commandments to Moses. Rules to shape the community and look after the community. They're more than just practical rules. They're rules about relationship and they're rules on how to connect back to God. And when we look at those rules now, and you can find them in the book of Exodus in the Bible, Exodus chapter 20, even if we're not used to being in church, even if we wouldn't call ourselves a Christian, you can look at most of those rules and go, yeah, I kind of get why they're there. Have no God before me, the first one. Well, that's, we kind of get that. We kind of understand that, that if we make something else our God, whatever that is, it won't bear the weight it will collapse around us. If we make our spouse our God, sooner or later they'll let us down. And so that'll collapse. If we make money our God and strive after money, sooner or later that will collapse. If we make our children our God and provide everything we can for them, sooner or later they will let us down. 
So we kind of get why that rule's there and don't be a liar. We kind of get that because it breaks down relationships. Leave your neighbor's wife alone. Yeah, we understand that. It breaks down relationships if you break that rule. But then right in the middle of the Ten Commandments is this verse that says this. It says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember to set it apart as holy. For six days you may labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So is that a rule that we could just go, oh, forget it. It's like mince pies at Christmas. It doesn't mean anything to us now. Or is it actually really important and we've lost the significance of it? It continues on it. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your cattle or even the resident foreigner who is at your gates. It's like this day is to be different. This day is to be special. Shoved right in the middle of these important commandments to keep society together. And already you're probably thinking, well, there's kind of some theological problems with it. You know, on the seventh day, God rested. Or did God get tired? Well, of course, God doesn't need to rest. He's not physically tired. But he's commanding it. And remember, these are called commandments. They're not called 10 suggestions for life. They're called commandments. There's some principle behind why he's ordaining this. And actually, he gets quite aggressive. God gets quite aggressive about this. If you're bored of me already, you can turn to the book of Leviticus. And and he tells us that if you will not stop, if you will not rest, if you will not take time to celebrate, I will destroy you. That's a bit scary, isn't it? Actually, God's saying this resting principle is really, really important for his people. And as you go through the Old Testament, this early part of God's story, you see the application of these verses on a Sabbath day, which for them was Friday evening till Saturday evening. And it got more and more complicated. It got more and more prescriptive. They were so desperate not to break the law that they built up laws around the law and laws around the laws around the law so that they were nowhere near breaking it. And in fact, even today, if you go to Israel and look at strict Jews applying this rule, they don't even turn on a light switch because that's work. You know, they won't get into a lift because that's work. Um, You know, and it's like laws on laws on laws. So maybe they've lost the heart of what this is about. Now, the following book to the book of Exodus is a book of Leviticus. And Leviticus really is just the working out, the practical working out of all of those laws. It's like, what what does this law mean if I've got some sheep? What does this law mean here? What is this? Leviticus is just the practical working out of the Ten Commandments, really. What will it look like for me and my family? What What does it mean for my possessions? My neighbours are having a go at me. What shall I do? And that's what the book's about. And so you see they're trying to work out the application of the Sabbath rule in their society right now. So what should we do? Am I standing here saying, right, we've got to go back to an Old Testament time. 
We've got to follow the Sabbath rules like the Old Testament Jews did. No work at all. No homework. Young people are cheering at this point. No shopping. No cooking. No TV. No work at all. And then what happens if our no work causes other people to work? You know, the electricity board. Somebody has to keep the lights on. What about phone companies and church leaders? You know, it all gets a little bit complicated. Fortunately, we don't just have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament, the new story, the new promise of God. And as Christians, our focus comes on to the New Testament and how Jesus lived out the Old Testament rules. The Old Testament provides the history, the backdrop to Jesus. In effect, it's the dark world on which the light of Jesus shines. It's not a different God, but it's showing the outworking of what it means to live by him. In fact, the Old Testament shows us we can never manage to just live by the rules. We can't do it. You know, if somebody were to stand here and say we need to strictly apply all of the Sabbath rules for us today, then to be consistent, we'd have to agree that the promises and punishments for breaking those rules apply. And again, if, you, if you're interested, you can read Leviticus and read about some of the punishments for breaking the Sabbath rules. They're quite horrific. Jesus came into this world and he took the Sabbath rules and made them his own. And I love the way he did it. We're going to look at a story in just a moment, a story from the book of Mark, Mark chapter 2. And as we read it, just try and get a sense of what the man in the story felt when Jesus came to him on the Sabbath. Because Jesus uses the Sabbath to bring joy and hope and possibilities into a man's life. And Jesus, in doing this, bear in mind, in doing this, Jesus is slamming head on into tradition and rabbinic law. He's kind of having a face off with the rabbis and saying, no, the Sabbath is meant to be joyful. It's meant to be hope filled. So let's take a look at this story. It's quite a long reading from Mark chapter two. Jesus was going through the grain fields on a Sabbath and his disciples began to pick some heads of wheat as they made their way. So the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is against the law on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions were hungry? How he entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the sacred bread, which is against the law for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to his companions. Then he said to them, important words here, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. For this reason, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Then Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched Jesus closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him. So he said to the man who had a withered hand, stand up among all these people. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or evil, to save a life or to destroy it? But they were silent. And after looking around at them in anger, grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. 
he stretched it out and his hand was restored. A great story. You know, the, this man with, the, with a withered hand, you know, his place in society was nowhere. And suddenly Jesus gives him joy, gives him hope, gives him possibility, gives him a future. And I love the way that Jesus kind of quotes Scripture to people who are experts in Scripture to show them how wrong they are. It's a constant practice of Jesus, particularly the book of Deuteronomy, actually. He quotes Deuteronomy to men who've memorized Deuteronomy to prove that what they're teaching out of Deuteronomy is wrong. I love that. And it's that mad monumental verse. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And that rolls through history to us now. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Sabbath. He didn't come to say, oh, the Sabbath's not important. No, he came to dig it out of the mountain of legalism that it was under and to give it freedom once again. Give it freedom for the Sabbath to be a blessing to us rather than a burden to us. If you're there thinking, oh no, it's the Sabbath tomorrow and that means we can't work or that means I can't turn on the light or oh, that means I can't play my computer game or watch a bit of telly or that means I can't do that, or that, then it's not a blessing to you anymore. And it's meant to be a blessing. It's a day for showing mercy, a day for joy and hope and good. It's the reset button on life. Jesus made the Sabbath his own. Maybe that's a clue for us. The Sabbath was made for us. It's not made to be restrictive. It's made to be open and be a blessing. The law isn't a negative thing. I'm not saying that the old law was negative. It's not negative. You know, the law wasn't put in place so that God could look down on us and go, right, Steve Irwin, he didn't look after the Sabbath well enough. Right, it's tsunami on Steve this week. You know, that's not prophecy, by the way. Just, you know, that's, that's not what it's about. It's, I'm not saying the Sabbath was built. It was built to kind of, it, it wasn't created to rob us, but it was created to show our relationship with God. The law is meant to be about life, but it ends up being about death. And Jesus takes the law and he doesn't dispose of it, but he brings life to it. And that's to do with who God is. Our universe, our creation, the largest reaches of space through to the tiniest blood cells in our human body are all created with rhythm. They're all created with repetitive flow. Seasons come and go. Things are born and die. And that's a reflection of God's heart. God has a rhythm and a repetitiveness. That's one of the things I've actually learned in the Anglican church. The joy of repetition sometimes. And at creation, there's six days he created and on the seventh he rested. The pattern of six days work and one day rest. It's interesting. I won't go into this too much, but we tend to, in our minds, go work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. Actually, in Jewish thought, it tends to be rest. 
so that we can work. Do you see, it's flipping it on its head. The creation account, it was evening and morning the first day. It's flipping and it's on its head. We work from rest, not work to rest. It's quite an interesting thought. What Jesus did was take the Sabbath idea and mould it to fit him. In fact, the early church did that. When the early church got together to celebrate Jesus' death, do you think society just changed their Sabbath day from Saturday to Sunday? Of course they didn't. For most of the rest of society, Sabbath was still Saturday. And suddenly these newfangled Christians come along and go, hold on a minute, we want to celebrate on a Sunday. It didn't just happen like that. In fact, they had the Sabbath and they had, then they had to work out how to give the next day, Sunday, some sort of significance when actually it was a working day. And they worked around it and they made things happen. And to begin with, the Sunday Sabbath wasn't a 24-hour period in the church. They grew, it grew to that. But, you know, after work, we'll meet together for a meal in our homes to remember what Jesus has done. So as we kind of move towards the end, what does Sabbath look like for us, for you and for me? Does it mean we can't do our homework? Does it mean I can't turn on the lights? Does it have to be 24 hours straight? I think the truth is it will look a little bit different for each one of us because we're in a different rhythm and a different time of our lives. People with young families is going to be very different than those of us that are older. Those of us that are in different seasons of life or perhaps have different needs. But the principle behind it of rest is really important. About three years ago, I kind of had a shift in my mind on thinking about this. I used to speak a lot about my day off. Um, uh, now I try and intentionally use the word Sabbath. Um, and about three years ago, when I was working here at the Forge, I had the privilege of being able to take a sabbatical, a longer Sabbath in effect. And for me, that was a shift in, in understanding rhythm and relaxation. My relaxation is still quite activity-based. But there was a joy and a rest that came that I hadn't really experienced before. Um, and even now, a few years on, um, I have, I have great conversations with members of the public when I talk about having a Sabbath instead of a day off. It's quite interesting because I can try and explain what rest is meant to be. It's what, what it's meant to do is realign, reset my heart and my mind and my body and my relationships. So I try and be proactive. I try and get my shopping and the housework done through the rest of the week, so that a Sabbath becomes a little more clear. I'm not just exchanging one load of jobs for another. I did smile when, you know, Helen's job's up here. The first job that he has to do is DIY. So, right? well, yeah. so, so for some people, that will be a rest. For others, it'll feel like work. And so it's not just about, it's not just about, oh, oh, on our day off, we'll go and do all the shopping and we'll cram all of this in, and you end up at the end of your day off feeling more tired than a work day. Now, some of you will go, it's easy for you, Matt. You, have, you haven't got a family. You've got no other pressures. 
You're not being a taxi driver or kids screaming all the time. No, that's true. But all the housework jobs do fall on me. I haven't got anyone else to give them to. Um, we need to be proactive in how we plan for our Sabbath. If we just wake up in the morning and think, oh, right, well, then it'll never actually happen. For some of you, it may mean a technology switch off. It may mean, do you know what? I'm going to reset my life by not using technology for the day. If, if you're into that in the rest of the week. For some of you, it might be, do you know what? I can play computer games and I can do this because I haven't had time the rest of the week. Interestingly, the Anglican Church is starting a new monastic community up in Ditchingham near Norfolk. It's going to be open next September. And one of the tasks of it, one of the aims of it, is a digital detox. So people are going to be able to go there and switch off. Not that there's anything wrong with social media, but it tends to control us rather than us controlling it. So it's saying we're going to have some time away up there where it's a digital detox. To keep it holy. The word holy means something. The word holy means being set apart. So when God is holy, he's set apart from us. When we try and make things holy, we're making them set apart. And going deeper, God calls the Sabbath a blessed day or a hallowed day. What does it mean for God to bless a day? I mean, wouldn't that be incredible if we took Sabbath seriously? God says, I'm going to bless that day for you. I'm going to hallow that day. Hallow means sanctify. It means I'm going to set that apart. I'm going to have an extra blessing on it. My hand's going to be on it. I mean, what would that look like in our lives if God actively blessed and hallowed and sanctified the day that we'd set out for him? Now, just as I come to the end, there's something even more important about the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath is actually a shadow for something else. The Sabbath is a gift. It's a joyous gift to us. But that's not the whole of it. You see, the point of the Sabbath is actually the cross. If you have a day where you're not doing and you simply are, then on that day you're reminded that you are accepted by God not because of what you do, but because of who you are. We're reminded that it's not about our working hard and being good and achieving lots of things that make God love us. The reset switch says, I rest on the cross. When we have a day where we're just enjoying God and enjoying the pleasures he brings, it becomes a picture of what Christ did on the cross. In effect, the Sabbath is a rest from physical striving, but it's also a rest from spiritual striving. And some of you strive and I must make it to church and I must do this and I must serve here and I must do this and because God will love us more. No, the point of the Sabbath is that we can't earn that. So we just rest in it and say thank you to God for it. The Sabbath slams the brake on that kind of thinking and points us back towards the cross. 
In effect, the Sabbath shows us that Christ did what the law couldn't do. Strict obedience to the Sabbath law will never achieve what the cross did. So when you go back to the Old Testament law, to Exodus 20, the Sabbath was because God rested on the seventh day. It wasn't that he was tired of creating. It was that he was finished from creating. He rested because he was finished. The final words of Jesus on the cross, it is finished. So as we finish and as the band begin to kind of come up, there are four questions I'm going to put up here that, that maybe you want to take note of. Maybe just have it in the back of your mind. When you're tempted to busyness, when you're trying to work out, is this work or is this leisure? You know, for some activities, for one might be, just think through these. There are moments in our lives where there's no place I'd rather be than right here, right now. Could be playing a computer game. Could be walking on the beach. Could be eating pizza with friends. There's nothing I'd rather be doing. There's no one I'd rather be with. Almost this is a moment that I will remember well. In my life, my personal life, sometimes it's after joyous exhaustion. You know, when I've come out of the sea with my sister and we've been wave jumping as we've done for 35 years of our lives, you know, on holiday. There's no place I'd rather be than that moment with her. There's nothing I'd rather be doing and there's no one I'd rather be with. But it might also be the Bayview Inn in Cornwall with a pint of cider in one hand and a packet of pork scratchings in the other, watching the sunset with my twin brother, as we've done for years. There's no place I'd rather be. Nothing I'd rather be doing or no one I'd rather be with. Maybe it's walking in thunderstorms with my friend Katie, who we've been doing it for kind of 15, 20 years now. Whenever there's a big thunderstorm, we phone each other up and go for a walk in the rain. Maybe it's hunting Nessie at Loch Ness, which I try and do. Maybe it's playing risk with my friends. Whatever it is, at that moment, these things come into focus. And it's really easy for our life to be pulled the other way. When the mythological siren's call happens, or oh, it must be, I must just check the emails, or I must just do this job, I must get another load of washing in, text message, or list this jobs. I want to value where I am, what I'm doing, and who I'm with. But it takes unusual courage to be different from those around us to stop and rest and play in a culture where exhaustion is seen as a status That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so please check us out on social media at Forge Church and check out our website, forgechurch.com, where you can give financially, watch new content and see any details of events we have going on here at The Forge. See you next week.